2: Hello and welcome to Caged in Presents Coppola Connections, as always brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsilavas, your friendly guide through the crazy world of the Coppola family tree what do i mean by that i hear you ask well if if this is your first time and you have no idea what i'm talking about well here on this podcast we watch every single film in the collective coppola family filmography to determine are they the greatest film family of all time but how we do that is we watch one film at a time and is that enough to put them in that hall of fame as the greatest film family of all time And I'm always joined by a guest, and this week is no different. I'm joined by the lovely David Rosen from the Piecing It Together podcast. A fantastic podcast that, yeah, I was lucky enough to be a guest on, and uh, maybe a guest on again soon. It's it's, it's a great format. David explains all about that. And he joined me to talk about the um, 2015 slacker comedy by Bob Byington seven chinese brothers we get all into that in this episode it is a lot of fun as is always the case we talk about this uh, this film in spoilerific detail all 84 minutes of it we talk about it in the nitties and the gritties so if you haven't seen it go source it out go check it out it's, it's a lot of fun so yeah um once you've done that come back and listen to me and david get into this film So all that's left to do is to stumble your way through life with your dog companion. Try not to get fired from your job at the Quick Lube and settle your beef with your old rivals from your job at Boupé de as we make some Coppola connections. Today, we're slacking our way through life with Bob Barrington's 2015 comedy-drama Seven Chinese Brothers. Film stars Olympia Dukakis, Tunde Adipimbe, Eleanor Pienta, Stephen Root, and today's Coppola connection, Jason Schwartzman. Joining me to go bar hopping as I pretend to be from the deep south and he pretends to be a doctor and to help me determine if the Coppolas are the greatest film family of all time, is a man who is far from being a slacker. It's composer and host of the Piecing It Together podcast, David Rosen. How are you, sir?
3: I am doing great, and I'm excited to talk about this movie.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I, I, I'm excited as well. I've, I've I've got to admit to you, this is one that kind of until I came to this, like, kind of looking through all of the Coppola family films, escaped me. So it's uh, it's it's nice when people kind of turn me on to stuff and it's it's interesting that the last jason schwartzman film that was covered on the podcast would have been listen up philip which this film very much feels like Mm. it's bedfellows with um sure well before yeah before we get into talking about uh seven chinese brothers tell us a little bit about uh your podcast
3: Yeah, sure. Well, uh, piecing it together, uh, my podcast, which you have, of course, been a guest on before. Uh, But what we do is we take a look at new movies through the lens of what other movies might have inspired it. And so we will end up, uh, during the course of a conversation, end up with a big list of other movies that either explore similar themes or are made in similar styles, just some kind of connections that we can uh, put together between those movies and the movie that's being featured. And you end up with a great list by the end, a great conversation to listen to, and it's a fun, different way to discuss a movie. And uh, we've been going five years now, and I, uh, I just... Love talking about movies this way. It leads to all kinds of new connections.
2: Yeah, and it definitely, I found, it makes you watch films for a different lens, right? I guess movie watching for you, even if it's not for the podcast, you're there kind of going, here's the puzzle pieces, kind of like, whatever you watch. "Is Is that a bit of this? Is that a bit of that? Like, Yeah, has it ruined movies for you somewhat?
3: A little bit, a little bit. I mean, it's certainly ruined all my free time, I'll tell you that much. But, uh, you know, yeah. I, I'm always, even the movies that I don't plan on covering, I usually will jot down a few thoughts on what would be a puzzle piece if I do end up covering this. And then more than likely we do cover it because what, what is free time? Yeah, yeah,
2: you know? exactly. <laughs> let, 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 yeah, it's sort of running away from the beast, embrace it. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm, like, that's right. Feed, feed that kind of puzzle Peace monster that's on your back <laughs> um, yeah so let's jump into talking about the Copler family and the first question i always like to ask on this podcast is when you became aware of the Copler family and obviously like there must have been an entry point but when did you kind of yeah what was that entry point and when did you figure out like oh there's more than just that person that there's this kind of whole you know, spider's web of a family
3: yeah, sure. I mean, I grew up in the eighties, you know, I was born in 1980. And so, you know, the Godfather was on like every shelf and, <laughs> you know, just knowing, knowing the name Coppola is it like, it's just synonymous with movies when you're, when you're a kid growing up, even if you haven't seen those movies, uh-huh. you just, you know, they exist. Um, I, I really feel like the first thing, I mean, we're all big Nicolas Cage fans around here. Um, I think that the first like little tidbit that came to mind that was like oh there's a whole lot more to this family is when you find out when you have that moment of discovery that oh nicholas cage is a part of this family and then you're like oh wow okay so there's a lot of people involved
2: yeah 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 and then it's like oh connie corleone like like <laughs> you yeah. talia shire she's she, she's a member of the family and then like uh, i yeah i've had people on like they go my mind was blown when i realized that adrian from rocky's son was jason schwartzman yeah. i was like yes hey like it's kind of it's kind of mind-boggling
3: it's crazy yeah and, and it's just layers and layers just keep peeling back it's a, it's a wild ride
2: yeah i'm gonna watch every single film they've ever made <laughs> <laughs> so obviously yeah you you live in the states you live in vegas right have you ever met the right. coppola or has you ever seen anyone that? Down- Strolling down the Strip, if you said Nicolas Cage, he, he, he lives in your tax-free haven that is Las Vegas?
3: Yeah, he does live here. I unfortunately have not met him yet, though. I, I'm, I'm hoping it happens <laughs> one of these days. The, the closest thing I have is uh, I, I did see Rooney in concert and got to meet Robert Schwartzman at that show oh, uh, at the beauty bar here in Las Vegas. So that's, that's the one uh, in-person meeting that I have with anyone in this family as far as I can recall let's say
2: that's amazing i'm yet to dive into his kind of directorial work because i know that like he's kind of moved away from the band and kind of directed a handful of films now and he's doing some really great things in regards to distribution as well i think he's got like a, a company called utopia movies that kind of like have created this new way of distributing movies in an interesting way
3: Okay, yeah, I didn't realize that uh, he had a hand in Utopia. I certainly have heard, you know, that name, I see it on a lot of things lately. Uh, Utopia is kind of all over the place in indie films, and uh, I didn't realize that he had a, a hand in that.
2: Yeah, 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 he's just he's just recently had twins, so I guess he's probably like, take a backseat from the directing and the band stuff, maybe do something I can I can manage from home somewhat, do you know what I mean, like helping with distribution sure. or whatever. Sure. <laughs>
3: Um, yeah so- absolutely I, I i might have met jason schwartzman once but at the time i was doing a lot of drinking um i was working for sony music <laughs> and uh, when phantom planet came out with uh you know big brat and all that stuff and so i i was at a lot of like promotional events but uh-huh. yeah th- those days are a bit of a blur
2: <laughs> uh yeah someone once said on the podcast like they they're taking it they met a because they watched phantom planet play once so they breathed the same air as jason schwartzman i was like i'm taking
3: that <laughs> close enough
2: yeah. so what would have been talking of jason schwartzman what would have been the first jason schwartzman film you would have seen
3: uh i feel like most people my age it would be rushmore uh-huh. and that you know that that's it i mean I, there's probably something that I had seen before that point and like didn't, you know, connect the dots or realize, you know, that that's who that person is, but I think that's the movie that put him on a lot of our radar for people my age.
2: Yeah, 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 cuz uh, yeah, I think he he did that movie and then took a few years off of acting. So it was his first role. What a first role as well, right?
3: Yeah, it's a huge a huge way to like debut yourself even if he was around already. Um and yeah, I don't I don't know like, you know, I was a little like too young to fully appreciate it at the time when it came out, but my parents were pretty dialed into, you know, cool new movies and stuff like that. And they, they had heard so many, you know, good things about it out of whatever festivals or whatever it was. And so uh, we all went as a family to see Rushmore and uh, yeah, you know, it's Rushmore. It's great.
2: Yeah. Yeah. A film that kind of, I don't know, in a way that has set the template for who Jason Schwartzman is kind of. Oh yeah. It, it, in both aspects of his kind of creative work, whether that is kind of acting or kind of what he does behind the scenes, because it, it seems to be every Wes Anderson project it ha- has a story credit by Jason Schwartzman, even if that is him and Wes talk about the idea and Jason's there going, hey, Wes, we chatted about it that one time. I'm going to need that story <laughs> credit. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 D- Jason and Roman, like, we're going to tell you some stories about the Coppola family. And then all of a sudden they got the Darjeeling Limited. It's like, come on, come on, give us that writing credit, Wes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, let yeah, let's talk about our main attraction for today, which is Seven Chinese Brothers. But before we do, let's listen to the trailer.
4: You literally sleep all day. You know, it's not good for you to get this much sleep. Open them, open them. <clears throat> Larry, did you happen to notice that we had some video surveillance equipment installed? Okay. I don't know. You're fired.
0: Why are you alone, for Christ's sake? Oh, God. Sake?
4: Okay. Nice meeting you. Who's going to dial 911 when you're gasping for air? I'm teaching the dog how to do it.
1: <coughs> I'm off in 20 if you want to go clubbing.
4: This is my imitation of a person from the South hearing a story that they like. Tell me about last night.
1: I went to gyms last night. Shut because, up. But no. The door is locked. No. It's supposed to be a surprise party. So no, I,
4: shut I, up.
1: I so I checked my phone shut to see up, if I Shut up. Go away.
4: Late. Go away. Did you key my car? Yeah, I did. Never a good idea, keying someone's car. I feel like this is a new low. Mm. That sign says now hiring. So listen, are you hiring? Um, Yes. I'm going to just need you to sign here. All right. This pen doesn't work. Has anyone ever gotten fired on the first day? You'll be running this place in no time, Lawrence. One second, my stocks are crashing. You know how to do this by now, right, Larry? I think so. Oh, boy. Usually, I don't like my work. I tend not to, but I like my boss, so that makes it a place that I look forward to going to, which I've never had before, really. Look, what's this? Uh, uh, Wait, that fat kid getting out of a pool. I'm gonna try to be a uh, good or better person. Are you awake? I'm sorry I'm critical. I'm too critical. I'm hard on you. Did you know that if you're high-fiving somebody, if you look at their elbows, you will never miss with your hand? Focus on my elbow. What?
2: One of the things I've I've started doing a lot more recently is ask my guests, like, do you think listening to that trailer, it, it sells the film as, as the film that it actually is?
3: I think it kind of does. And I had never seen or heard the trailer before. Um, I came to this movie just, uh, as it's another movie from Bob Byington, the director. And so I just went ahead and watched it without knowing much about it. I just knew that it was him and Jason Schwartzman. Uh, but, yeah, I think that that trailer does a pretty good job of selling, like, what it's all about and and what it is. Maybe it's a little more upbeat than mm. what it really actually is. Yes. But other than that, I think it uh, it's a pretty good representation.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, it kind of makes it seem like it's a laugh riot when it's a bit more kind of, I don't know, it's not in a disparaging way, but it's a bit more of a kind of low-key film in a way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, not, it's not kind of like... Uh, a riotous like laugh a minute kind of affair is kind of a bit more like subtle and kind of like gets under your skin as opposed to just being like boom here's a joke here's a joke and that that song that yeah. plays in that trailer does not appear in the film at all like there's no, no kind of no. like upbeat upbeat kind of music like that it's kind of more like the cars and rem on the soundtrack yeah um, yeah so yeah, let's let's get some little stats and then uh, we'll get on to your guest synopsis. So the budget for this film is unavailable. I couldn't find the budget for this anywhere, but did find the box office and it made twenty-eight thousand dollars yeah uh twenty-eight thousand uh one hundred and eighty dollars. So uh imagine
3: didn't Rakupas Budget? I'd imagine this film was not made for less than twenty eight thousand dollars. That's uh, probably not much, though. But <laughs> yeah, but probably not that little. <laughs> uh, the
2: The release date for this was the twenty eighth of August two thousand and fifteen in the US. I don't think it ever got um kind of international distribution, at least not here in the UK. And it premiered at the South by Southwest Festival two thousand and fifteen. Um. Yeah, so David, like, can you tell us what Seven Chinese Brothers is about? What's the kind of uh, yeah, synopsis to this film?
3: So. I I think this is basically a movie uh, that kind of takes a little bit of like a nihilistic kind of everything is stupid approach to uh, looking at a kind of lovable loser type guy who uh, just kind of hangs out with his dog. He he's on the verge of getting fired from his job when we first meet him. He gets another job, but he's not exactly moving up in the world in any particular way. He's just kind of floating through life he uh visits his grandma he he has uh, a couple of friends he jokes about everything but he's just he's a loser basically and he's a fun loving loser who doesn't really feel bad for himself it's kind of the lot in life that he is accepted and seems to be okay with and It's a little mumble, Corey. like you said, it's not super laugh out loud, but at the same time, I find this movie to be very funny, possibly because I identify with the character a lot. But I mean, I I just this particular kind of worldview, I, I, I tend to identify with a lot. So it's like if you kind of get that kind of worldview in your own personal life, I think you'll probably connect with it because the character is a lot of fun. But could also be insufferable, depending on your point of view. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's that's something I really wanted to touch upon. Is kind of like is is Larry a likable character? Jason Schwartzman's character, obviously. I, I guess it like same thing. Kind of was talked about when talking about Listen Up, Philip. It's like a lot of a lot of uh, reviews and like letterbox reviews I read for like that film in particular was like yeah it's okay but like jason Schwartzman was playing an insufferable prick and it's like i can right. imagine that being leveled at seven chinese brothers as well because it's kind of right like from the get-go it's like he's i don't know just joking when there shouldn't be jokes he's stealing from work like openly mm-hmm. he's kind of like he, he's a pretty he's a bit he's a bit of a prick
3: Yeah. And I think Schwartzman is great at this kind of a role. I mean, really, if you go back to Rushmore, that is also kind of his thing there as well. I mean, I I rewatched it for the first time in a while just recently. And that was a thing that stuck out to me. Like, you know, we all remember loving Schwartzman in Rushmore, but God, that kid is a pain in the ass, you know? And so it's like, he, he really does do that really well. And whether or not, whether or not you can you know sit with somebody like that for an entire movie's length uh it, you know is gonna really dictate how much you like the movie and luckily the movie is pretty short too so if you don't like that uh you'll get through it quick
2: oh yeah <laughs> we're talking like oh, like what is it like
3: 80 something yeah 84 or... minutes if that yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah i
2: remember seeing the runtime and be like Oh David thank you very much. i had a lot of like yeah, two hour yeah. two hour plus movies to watch recently and this I was like mm-hmm. oh, I I, could, I I could maybe watch that twice if <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um so like let's talk about some of like the earlier scenes in this film and like yeah what do you like let's talk about that kind of that that kind of opening of him kind of in the in the bar that he works at when he when he gets fired like
3: which which by the way i it's a buka de Beppo uh, <laughs> that, that he works at which which is hilarious because it's like i don't know it's just such a weird setting to see a movie take place and i don't know if you have buka de bepos out we there do not. No, 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 no. no yeah it's it's like it's like i mean you know olive garden Uh i I would imagine that's more of a more of a you know name brand that everybody knows but it's like it's a step up but not really from (laughs) an olive garden you know it's like and and it it certainly portrays itself as as a step up but it's not really and it's just such a weird place for for a character to be set
2: definitely and like you you see in those scenes as well like this kind of you know, like his disdain he has for authority and stuff like that, and like it—it mm-hmm. it is one of those things. Like, I kind of—I found myself being like, ah, I've been this guy at a job, not the stealing aspect, but I've been this kind of—I don't really give a fuck. Like, I'm just gonna make jokes all the time. Like, just gonna be on, never gonna be off, and kind of, yeah, the 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 party that being the being the fun-loving guy. Is more important than the actual work and i was like i think i'm gonna like this film because of that because I'm, nice. I'm honest with myself as well like i, I, I think like that's the thing with there's like insufferable characters in film it's like nine times out of ten if you're kind of honest with yourself it's like you probably can relate to that Do you know what i mean? we've probably all had shades i don't know i, I don't know maybe yeah. not all of us kind of it, it took me to have a kid to kind of knuckle down and start to take life seriously. But I could imagine right. if I hadn't had a kid, I could have been 34 thinking that working at Quick Lube is kind of like the be all and end all <laughs> of like life.
3: Yeah, things are starting to go pretty well for me at the quick lube. But uh, yeah, I, I you know I came to this movie, um, I don't know if we're going to talk about that a little yeah, later, yeah. but um, through Bob Byington's other film, Francis Ferguson, which uh, was my favorite movie of 2020, uh, which nobody really seems to like. I don't know why I just really connect with this guy's movies. Um, but that also features a main character who has just a very just everything is stupid like kind of like a happy nihilistic kind of point of view like just joking about everything the whole time not taking anything seriously uh, a much worse character uh if, if we're gonna get into it like what happens in that movie but uh you know still similar in that in that way of just joking about everything a charming loser kind of you know and um again this same kind of character that if you connect with it in in any way you're going to really enjoy the movie but if you find it to be insufferable you're just going to be like you know why is there a movie about a character like this why would i want to watch this character um it, you know so i don't know they the, both these movies they do kind of fit together really well
2: mm-hmm. yeah what what was your kind of initial reaction when you first How, how, like, when would you have watched this film, and what was your, what was your kind of first reaction when you saw Seven Chinese Brothers?
3: So, yeah, I, I watched Francis Ferguson, like, right as the pandemic was starting. Uh-huh. Um, it was a movie that technically came out in 2019, but literally was, like, dumped on streaming and, like, nobody saw it. Like, maybe, like, a hundred people in the world <laughs> saw it. And then, then all of a sudden, Amazon, they would probably needed content for their front page during the pandemic to get people, you know, their minds off of how insane the world was and what was happening. And so there was all these, like, buried movies that came to the forefront. That's how I found that movie. Loved it so much that I started going back into other Bob Byington movies, and that's when I found Seven Chinese Brothers. So it was during the pandemic, during a big moment of realizing, oh wow, the world is so stupid. Like we're we're never gonna get out of this. Like everything is just awful. But hey, I'm I'm a generally happy guy. I like to joke about stuff, and so uh, it, you know maybe the world is shit, but uh, I, I'll be okay. I'll be happy about it. You know, and that's what I see in these characters.
2: I'm, I'm looking at the cast list for that right now and uh i'm excited uh yeah uk listeners it is uh francis ferguson is streaming on amazon prime here in the uk as well so uh nick offerman martin star and david crumholtz i'm in i'm in it's kind of like it's amazing these casts that um i don't know like yeah i'm I, i may be ignorant here but bob Byington is somebody like who kind of really slipped past me. And he's kind of like, I think I think like watching this film, he's, a, he's an interesting director. He's obviously, he's not afraid, he's not afraid to speak his mind. Like I know when he was talking about yeah. Seven Chinese Brothers, he said like the, the reason he made this film was because he saw uh, the Anthony Hopkins film from the, I don't know, like must have been like the 90s called uh, Hearts in Atlantis. And was like, I hated it. It was like, I, mm. I hated that film so much that that I was like, I could, I could write, a, I could write like a a story better than that, and then wrote this, and then kind of like had the story kicking around for like fifteen years. And he said,
3: a spite movie. Yeah, he, he said in an interview <laughs> as well. He's like,
2: he almost like had to wait until he's like, little did I know I had to wait until Jason Schwartzman was old enough to play that character because when he wrote it, he would have been about. Nineteen, twenty years old. It's like I needed, to, I needed him to age up to thirty-five yeah. to kind of really encapsulate who Larry is. um
3: That's funny. That's really funny. Yeah, I, I actually was lucky enough to have Bob Byington on my podcast. I'm uh, piecing it together, talking about Francis Ferguson, and uh yeah, he's an interesting character. And his movies, they definitely do seem to go under the radar. They seem to be those kind of movies that do really well at the festivals and then just kind of disappear into obscurity. And eventually people find them and like them or don't, you know, depending on the movie, but, uh, you know, they, they definitely have a weird life. Like when you were reading that, you know, that box office numbers for seven Chinese brothers, that did not surprise me that this didn't, you know, make any kind of a splash on release.
2: Yeah. And what what was kind of great to hear is because he's a, like an Austin based director is, um, he did like A, Q&A, I think it's for the austin film society and they were saying at, at, in the kind of introduction to him that like the city and the, the kind of like the film society are that that into what he does that like he always kind of benefits from like the the grants they give out and the kind of funding because like they obviously see something in him and he's like yeah he makes these films the budget for this must be minuscule like there's like really not anything like action-packed it's like I guess I do. The most expensive thing that might go into it is getting a couple of cars repaired from being keyed, and like sure, or <laughs> the money that is put in that massive tanker full of change.
3: But I imagine I wonder that... if they got any Bookie de, bookie de beppo money. Uh, <laughs> you know, product placement.
2: Yeah, is quick loop. Is that is that an actual? Is that an actual? It company? is. Yeah, it is.
3: Oh, yeah, they... these are all real. Everything in this movie is real.
2: <laughs> oh, great! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine Booker de Beppo are probably a bit like uh, annoyed that the fact that they're, I don't know, they it makes it look like their management are fucking schmucks. And like <laughs> Booker de Beppo, uh, uh, not Booker de Beppo. I've just like saying Booker de Beppo. Quick Lube are really yeah, it's happy. so much fun to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> Booker de Beppo. Uh, <laughs> yeah, always well, we want to sing it. But Quick Lube yeah. are probably really happy because they make that like, this film makes like that place looking like the best place
3: ever to work do you know what I mean like oh yeah absolutely <laughs> although you might get your change stolen if you take your car there yes
2: and i don't know what it says that the person responsible is is is, is one of the only like i don't know it's it's, it's somebody obviously of like hispanic heritage like yeah yeah (laughs) it's not the white guy working (laughs) there is it come on (laughs) yeah um yeah
3: that's a choice
2: so let's let's talk about like the cast in this film what what do you think of the kind of what do you think of jason schwartzman's portrayal as larry and we cannot talk about larry without talking about the the shining star of this movie the only Mm. coppola i haven't talked about his his debut feature and possibly his only feature ever, Arrow Schwartzman. Yeah, what do you think of that pairing of? And, and for those of you who don't know, Arrow Schwartzman is Jason Schwartzman's French bulldog. Um, before we get into talk about their, their relationship as well, I just wanna I just wanna play a clip of Bob Byington and Jason Schwartzman talking about this this lovely hound.
4: The dog was written as a, a tough, mean dog. It was actually written as a German Shepherd, and it was based on a German Shepherd that I knew. And Jason um, was not really involved with casting. He did say, maybe you should meet Arrow. Once I met Arrow, I knew why he wanted me to meet Arrow. Because Arrow's incredible. I mean, moments after I met Arrow, I was like, that's the dog. Well, my character in the movie hes a guy that really isn't doing much. His dog is really the only person that he cares about. In the script, it was like that, you know, that he loves this animal. Um, But when Bob met my dog and wanted to put him in the movie, it kind of made sense in a different way to me. Because I I think it probably would have been strange to just, like, talk to some strange dog. Never a good idea, keying someone's car. Arrow really did seem to know what we were doing and it was weird because he seemed to like know he was looking at the camera when he would do it and it started to freak us out a little bit. I was really proud of him. He's actually a great dog to be in a movie because he has a real like just tiredness that was wonderful for shooting purposes. He would just like walk into the room we were shooting and he would just like fall asleep on a couch like okay. He'll probably be asleep there for about three hours so let's just sort of put the Make the scene happen sort of around this area, and that's really what we did.
2: So yeah, what do you make of the relationship between Jason Schwartzman and his dog? It's, it's probably I don't know the one one of the key relationships in this film.
3: Yeah, well, first of all, uh it's an honor to be speaking on the only episode that Arrow will end up <laughs> on, most likely. He, he is a great actor, and uh mm. he does such a great job in this movie. Uh, yeah, I, their relationship is so much fun. It like just the way that Schwartzman is just constantly talking to him very much reminds me of me and my dog Harvey. Um, also a very sleepy, very cute, very snorty kind of a uh, dog with, with, it's mixed with a bunch of different stuff, but including, uh, some French bulldog type, uh, breeds in there as well. A lot of, a lot of snorting involved with Harvey, but, um, Yeah, they're they're so much fun to watch. And the way that he's just constantly talking to him. And I loved in that interview clip you just played about how he said about how like sleepy he is. Uh, You know, I I describe this movie as kind of nihilistic, but there's also like a very uh, like depression kind of uh, bent to it, to the character and to the kind of sleepiness of it and uh, not really wanting to uh improve your lot in life in, in any way and i feel like the dog captures that as well yeah, very yeah. much and uh he's just such a great uh sidekick character he's, he's he's just awesome to watch
2: well i think one of the key scenes involving the dog that very much kind of sums up the whole movie somewhat is that, that moment when don and the manager from uh, bupa de Becco kind of come around to uh <laughs> To, to pay vengeance upon Larry and yeah. kind of have this plan to feed the dog frozen hot dogs and kind of just like mess up his apartment a bit. They write, they write fat on a picture of, 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 <laughs> of Arrow. They, they like yeah. piss on his floor. I think they put they like, they put something in his mouthwash, like maybe like replace it with booze or something like that. And he's kind of like uh-huh. something that doesn't faze Larry. Cause like he's basically like a functioning alcoholic and but like
3: yeah, pretty much I, I like that he he just basically couldn't tell if the guys that broke in did anything because his house was already a mess yeah, so yeah, he yeah, just yeah. wasn't sure
2: <laughs> but the way the the dog just goes along with it it's kind of like that's exact that's kind of like the that scene in itself there could kind of be like if you cut out that kind of first scene of Larry like getting fired from his job and like keying the car and then just yeah tack on those two scenes together it would make a great little short do you know what i mean yeah. and like and then and like, maybe ending with larry getting punched in the face when he admits that he did key the car and kind of yeah but yeah like there is there is a nihilism to larry there's kind of but yeah the 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 the, the dog and that, that scene in particular really encapsulate kind of the uh, i guess i guess this is what's happening today i guess
3: exactly the,
2: and like yes yeah, yes <laughs> Know, it's beautiful and like heartbreaking at the same time. And you know, like, I've, I've definitely said it on this podcast before. I'm Somebody who suffers with depression, I definitely can relate to that aspect of, of Larry of kind yeah. of like, I don't know, just possibly being like frustrated underneath, but like my kind of exterior is just like, Oh, I guess, I guess this yeah. is what's, do you know what I mean? This is my lot in life and i just have to get on well, with it. Like,
3: yeah. Well, to, to add to that, um, not to jump around too much, but, uh, also great is the relationship with his grandma. Yes. Um, and there's that line where they're out walking and, uh, they see the cat with its tail up and she says, the cat's got its tail up. You know what that means? It means it wants to fuck or it wants to fight. Which do you want to do? And Larry's just like, eh, I don't want to do neither. Really? Yeah, like, yeah. You know, he just wants to kind of go through life and just like whatever. Yeah, you know? which
2: again is kind of mirrored later on in the film where he has an opportunity to fuck, like him and him and a Major Norwood, kind of go out and like have this ruse. Which I guess, like looking at it now, could like very problematic kind of ruse to pull as well. Kind of like I don't know, yeah. tricking women yeah. into believing you're like a doctor and. A southern gentleman is—is is that what yeah. like Larry's kind of shtick is?
3: <laughs> um, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, uh. Uh,
2: and but even when he's like kind of uh, a woman, basically, throws herself at him, and he's kind of like just kind of like, no, I got, I got, I got, I got to go. And it's like I don't know. You have got this. There's, there's, a, there's a there's layers to Larry because like it's kind of I don't know. You're you're blindsided at the beginning because you're like, oh might not like this guy and then when you kind of get to a scene like that you're like there's a tenderness and i think the film plays it really well like the first time he see even just sees lupe working behind the desk at the uh, quick lube it's like i don't know he's got this like infatuation with her and it's ne- it never borders on like creepy it's all kind of like quite sweet and stuff like that and he, he, don't know, he acts like a bit of a baby like lies about his friend and yeah, it says he's got a, a, a fake leg just to like, yeah. and he admits to her like, yes, yeah, because I, I, I just don't want you to fancy him. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a heartbreaking character.
3: Yeah, and I, that's part of what I like about the movie so much too is, you know, again, jumping around, but, you know, by the end of the movie, you know, I feel like he, in the smallest, like lowest stakes possible way, finally cares about a little bit in his life with his job and and his boss, which he, he he doesn't love, but he at least likes enough to keep showing up. And it's like it's not like the big string swell Hollywood, you know, happy ending. But it's this person showing a little tiny bit of growth, a little bit of acceptance, and a little bit of, uh, you know, that there's, there's hope for something more out of his life in the future. And I love that. I love a movie with a character that's kind of low stakes like that where where not much has changed, but a little bit has changed in the right direction.
2: Well, it's it's it's, it's believable, right? It's like kind of nothing yeah. nothing really happens in those grand ways. It's like steady progress and it's yeah, it's a sl- like a slice of life. Uh, I'm trying to think like the 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 period in which this film takes like the time period it takes across doesn't feel like that long maybe like a, a matter of weeks like um, a month, month yeah. two months maybe like it's kind of very much is like i don't know yeah and you could imagine this it's almost like has the the trappings of being like uh like a te- like a kind of teen summer movie like getting that su- do you know what i mean you like you could see it in that mold of being like you get the job somewhere that you really like and stuff like that but it's like it's got this twinge of sadness to it. Cause no, this is a man in his 30s. Do you know what I mean? He's finding that job he loves. Do you know what I mean? It's not that kind of one summer to change your life. It's like that kind of just one month that you kind of go, Hey, maybe things are not as, not as bad as they were and maybe yeah maybe i can just curb my drinking a bit more maybe i can learn yeah. spanish like uh,
3: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah those are all good things it's, it's 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 positive in its own very small way yeah,
2: so yeah so yeah you mentioned uh, the grandma uh, played amazingly by olympia Dukakis. what do you what, yeah. do, what, do, what do you like yeah what, what, what are your thoughts on their scenes that they shared together
3: Oh, she's great. She's, she's really fun. And like, I I feel like a a lot of us have, you know, that kind of a relative who is, um, you know, really sweet, but also you don't have that great of a relationship with, but enough of a good relationship that it's, you know, it's a nice thing and, and he's all she has and she's all he has. And, but then, you know, as we, as we find out, she ends up leaving her money to the guy who is uh, working at the place, which is also his best friend kind of um it, it's all very messy uh but their relationship is really great i i love all of uh larry's relationships in this his relationship with his dog his relationship with his best friend his relationship with his grandma with his boss they're all like really interesting well-drawn relationships
2: yeah yeah yeah. and i i, don't, I even like the kind of we get a nice like payoff to, to all of those kind of relationships right throughout the film even the kind of the bosses from bupe de Becco. like we get the we yeah. get the we get the kind of like nice little payoff when he just like i don't know you see that growth in that when he just goes back to get his check like you kind of imagine the larry you meet at the beginning of this film would have just never thought to do that do you know what i mean He'd never, right. like even though he's owed money would have just like oh yeah this is what i do now like uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I shouldn't go back there, but it's like I don't know. Then there's a big cathartic moment in the film as well, where he like just guts his apartment right of kind of all of his like earthly possessions for I don't know. I, I, I I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to figure out his rationale for that. What do you, What do you kind of? Yeah, what do you think of that scene? and What do you think like Larry was trying to achieve?
3: I almost felt like that was him trying to have a uh, a bigger Hollywood ending to his character arc, like something more profound, more big. And then it just kind of doesn't work out. And instead, we get the, the the smaller thing that the movie actually ends up ending on. And uh, I don't know. It, it, to me, it's, it's almost like a uh, uh, throwing out that kind of a character arc uh, in, in that scene
2: yeah 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 yeah. you could imagine i don't know from yeah a film ending on that and then from that moment on they're kind of dressed differently they're cocksure. sure mm-hmm. they're kind of really like sure about who they are as a person whereas like and it kind of plays into the fact that yeah larry doesn't really think about what the next step is too much like he kind of just right. he's always just the actions he makes throughout the film like it's kind of like i'm just just i don't know drifting and floating through life like there's the moment where he goes to meet the the attorney played by stephen root yeah instead of like taking his kind of crapped out car back with him he just decides to hitchhike instead
3: <laughs> right yeah. is that that is right right that is what he the does right yeah? yeah yeah
2: and that that makes for a really interesting scene and i guess like plays into that audience idea as well the kind of insufferable lead but like the film charms you enough and i think it's swartzman's charm that kind of wins you over and in that scene mm-hmm. we see it right like him and uh that the, like the guy he has a confrontation with who's played by alex ross perry the director mm-hmm. of listen up philip uh yeah they, they they begin to they begin with this argument and like like Philip gets punched in the face and then the next thing we know, they're kind of talking about like animals and he's in the back of the yeah. car
3: getting, getting a
2: lift, at the, uh, getting a ride at the end of the day.
3: So you like animals? Yeah. I like animals, <laughs> not birds, but most animals. I, I love him in this. He's so good. Alex Raspberry. Yeah,
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really? Like I, I, I loved that scene. Yeah. I think it is the kind of it, it, it I don't know. Like I said, it proves to the audience like we're we're probably having that same reaction that that guy has throughout watching the film, right? Yeah. It's Like, ah, I would like to punch this guy in the face, and then like you spend enough time with him, it's kind of like, oh, he's quite lovable, actually. I kind of want to, I, I want to make sure he's okay.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one thing I hadn't really even thought of until right now, but, um, I'm realizing all of the male characters are kind of idiots Uh when it comes down to it. Like, but both of the female, main female characters being, uh, his boss at the quick lube and then his grandma, uh, are pretty, you know, well to do, you know, uh, grounded people. Um, whereas almost every man that Larry, uh, deals with is, an idiot or a man child or just ridiculous in some way, including Alex Ross Perry in this car. He is just so ridiculous. That whole scene is ridiculous. <laughs> um, so I feel like that's also something that's going on here is just like kind of the, maybe the arrested development of, you know, men in that particular age group.
2: Yeah. 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 Like when he goes out with Norwood, so like a bar, Uh
3: huh. he's like,
2: yeah. he, he, he's just as bad as Larry. He's, Clearly, he really is. He's clearly, if not worse, like because he's stealing. Uh, yeah, he's he's stealing drugs from the care facility he works at for, to get high. To get high
3: with, yeah, like, it was, it was like, yeah just trying random ones, yeah, seeing yeah, yeah. what'll happen. <laughs> and Larry's there, like,
2: hey, how come you took a handful? You only gave me one. Like, and then it's his. It's kind of you can tell that it's a it's a regular ruse that he pulls by pretending to be a doctor because he kind of wears these like scrubs and has a stethoscope. And yeah. it's like, Larry just kind of goes along with it. We kind of see that, I don't know. Yeah, Larry just feels like a bit of a rube, like sometimes. I mean, like mm-hmm. when they discuss that night a bit later on in the film, and like Norwood's kind of going, oh, do you not know about like, uh, like it's, it's called the Battle
3: of the Sexes.
2: And it just feels like you could tell Larry anything. he go, oh, is it? Like, is that why it's called the Battle of the Sexes? Because you're trying to, <laughs> sure. trying to battle them into bed?
3: Yeah, yeah. He has, He has no agency of his own. He's just kind of just floating around
2: yeah that is that is a really interesting point about like and rightfully as well we like i'll say this as a man we are all fucking idiots oh yeah absolutely Uh, so yeah what other
3: like
2: what other scenes and kind of like points did you want to touch upon in this film Bill david
3: oh man uh, i'm trying to think of um any specifics? I mean, I, I just love a lot of his just little non-sequiturs and one-liners, you know, his little impressions and stuff like that. All that is really funny. Um, his terrible Vampire Weekend karaoke was great. Uh, you know, that that was really good. Uh, the, the funeral scene it, where – going back to what we were just talking about, about just how awful the male characters are. I mean, everyone in that scene is just – awful the guy who wants to kill himself basically and he's trying to figure out the the best way to do it and uh and, and then the, one of my biggest laughs of the movie is where just it's like it's just a total throwaway line but when uh jason schwartzman asks his friend do i look like that religious man uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which the whole time you're thinking it like he, the priest looks just like jason schwartzman but uh <laughs> but not too much like him like just enough like him to put it in your mind and then he he flat out says it and I just laughed so hard at that yeah yeah that's
2: really good <laughs> I've actually pulled a clip from uh, Larry's speech that he gives at, at, at oh funeral, nice just because I think it's, I know, it's it is kind of this is a moment of growth for the character
4: hi I was her grandson or I guess I'm her grandson still and she's my only surviving relative and I know she felt alone a lot and now I feel lonely too and she helped me a lot and I plan to, uh, I don't know, I like where I work, or I don't know, worked. And I'd like to do my work well. Usually I don't like my work, I tend not to, but I like my boss. She's, she's very helpful and she makes everyone feel just right. So that makes it a place that I look forward to going to, which I've never had before really. God, this is unusual. I, I've never stood in a room with a group and said what I was going to do with my life. Except in grade school when we all want to be astronauts. No, no one remembers that. <laughs> I'm going to work on the Spanish that she suggested I work on and, um, I don't know, try to be a, uh, a good or better person. That's the plan.
2: What I love about that speech is kind of like, is things he says wrong and the kind of like misstep. And you kind of mm. tell like the insecurities in him, like obviously, like when, when obviously it's a, it's a somber moment, and he mentions about like uh, when we wanted to be astronauts, and nobody reacts. So he's like, oh "Just me then," like yeah, or or, or, or I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be better, gooder, like I think he says, like which yeah, like, something like that doesn't yeah. like yeah, gooder better, and it's like doesn't quite make sense, but it's kind of got this naivety to it and like the fact that his speech is about like kind of yeah just I'm happy with like this small thing I've got in my life which is just like cleaning cars. Do you know what I mean? Like he's just hoovering yeah, yeah vacuuming cars and it's like he's kind of <laughs> today like again like back yeah back to the all men are idiots. It's like uh, we we get that brilliant moment before that by Stephen Root, where like he's like, "I was her attorney. I knew that there was going to be this like speech at the at the funeral because they have that like tape, don't they? Right? Of uh, yeah, yeah, of, of the grandma saying like, 'Oh, uh, I want you to kind of do better with or like, like yeah, I want you to all do better with your lives. If you want to do something, do it.' Kind of thing. And, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Stephen Root's like kind of was like. I've not been a good dad. I'm going to be better. And he's like, he's like, oh, I knew that was coming. And I, I like that. That's all I had. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he then says something to Larry, right, about like, he's like, oh, you really killed me. And I knew that. I knew. I. 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 Like, I, I knew that was coming. He's like, yeah. Like, I, I didn't. I didn't prepare a speech. He kind of killed it off the cuff.
3: Stephen Root's so great. It just feels like he just showed up for this, you know, moment, and is just out the door. You know. Yeah, he's. <laughs> he's
2: fantastic he's one of those actors that like kind of just turns up when you least expect it and stuff yeah i remember recently watching succession and there's like just one episode in season three it's like oh steven roots in it it's like, of course steven roots in it he's like he's one of those kind of understated character actors who like i don't know you kind of don't realize you love until you see him in something again and
3: go oh i fucking love this guy yeah, yeah. I wonder if anyone has a Stephen Root podcast. That would be a good podcast. Oh, rooting around. Yeah, like there you they, go. got a name there. Yeah, you got rooting,
2: rooting I, around I, the Stephen Root podcast.
3: I'll be a guest on it if anybody uh, wants to. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Like I kind of whilst doing like research of this. Kind of just like had to scroll through his IMDb. A lot of credits. A lot of like TV work and stuff like that. A lot of. I think he's done a lot of. Uh, well, yeah, he, a lot of voices on like. um King of the Hill, obviously, and Mike Judge with Office Space as well. Sure. Obviously, it oh, be, yeah. Must be a connection there. But, yeah, he, he's an absolute, like, joy in this film. As oh, as, yeah. As is, like, I'm just going to call him Tunde just because I, I'm, I'm very bad. Uh, you may have heard or you may not have heard because I would have edited it out in the intro. <laughs> I got his name wrong. Uh, but, yeah, like, for those of you who don't know, he's, like, one of the founding members, the fantastic Brooklyn-based band, TV on the radio. Who I'm not sure if you're a fan, David, but I absolutely love TV on the radio. So just to see, yeah. just to see this beautiful man in this film was kind of like even more of a selling point. Being like, yes, I like I'm excited to watch this film because it's somebody like I like this other avenue of creativity they do. So I'm sure they're going to be yeah. in this.
3: He's only been in a few movies, but he's 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 really good.
2: Yeah, he he plays that kind of today he just again he plays they all play dumb really well and I think yeah. like and that's quite I think that's quite hard to do without it kind of being I don't know getting into again not to I've I have have not watched it in a few years so I can't I can't really comment on the like quality of it but like getting into that like uh Jared Hess universe like mm. Napoleon dynamite do you know what I mean like this yeah. kind of um I don't know, unapproachable. Do you know what I mean? Like this, I imagine. I don't know, like a mainstream audience could get into this a bit more. Like Napoleon Dynamite, kind of has that feeling. Like you don't get it, you ain't into. It. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, yeah. Imagine more people if they had the chance to see this film might kind of find something in it like.
3: Yeah, and by the way the score sounds a lot like the Napoleon Dynamite score yeah. as well. So Well,
2: yeah, as a as a as a musician and a, and a composer David, what do you make of the Chris Beo score for this? Obviously, uh guitarist in uh Vampire Weekend, isn't
3: he? Right. Yeah, very strange but very uh fitting. I mean, it's a perfect score for these kinds of characters, a kind of smallness of the story. Uh it, it just fits really well. It does a great job
2: yeah what like I, this this can sound like an insult in and i kind of like with the music and like the film itself like, and this is this isn't an insult at all it kind of like gives me hope and it like, kind of feels like there's like if i made a film or like if i wrote music for a film like this is probably what i would do like it kind of all mm. feels quite achievable do you know what right. i mean like I, I don't know like yeah i could imagine just like i don't know you get yeah like the budget doesn't seem big but like this is the kind of story I probably would tap about this like yeah. uh loosely veiled for myself misanthropic guy who, <laughs> who who kind of I don't know bumbles his way through life and tries to tries to figure stuff out. It, yeah in my version yeah. he probably would be a podcaster.
3: Yeah sure sure <laughs> absolutely. Yeah I I feel like that's kind of the vibe of a lot of uh Austin filmmakers. That's that's kind of like like never reaching too far, like sticking in that very uh homemade indie kind of aesthetic.
2: And, and and obviously like I don't know, there's there is obviously a lineage like that probably dates back somewhat to Wes anson right? He started making films in the nineties, another Austin based well he started off he like grew up in Texas at sure. least. And I think Rushmore was shot there. it like I find it interesting around this period in Jason Swartzman's career, this and like, listen up, Philip, two films he kind of made back to back. Both characters almost feel like two sides of a coin of who Max Fisher could have become as he grew mm. up. Right. Like listen up, Philip. I'm not sure if you've seen that movie, but like a bit more higher achieving and more arrogant with it. Like, uh, uh he's like a, an author and stuff like that. Whereas this, it's kind of like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> he might, he might've flunked out of the community college he was at. Do you know what I mean? Like, sure. Yeah. It's like, listen up, Philip. He got back into Rushmore and like graduated and wrote a book. And this one is like, stayed at community college and kind of drifted through life.
3: (laughs) I need to watch. Listen up, Philip. It sounds like it would be right up my alley. And I I thought I saw it back when it came out, but I'm not really recalling it. So I'm putting that at the top of my watch list.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's really interesting. Like, I, my kind of eyes have been open recently to this, yeah, like new school of directors. And I'm really like interested in Bob uh, Byington and Alex Ross Perry. Now they kind of make these like, really interesting films and about these kind of characters who are hard to love, but like for me, quite easy to like, like, uh, right, know, right. And they're all like, uh, you know, yeah. Like, uh, I don't Approach, yeah. That for me, then like, I I see a lot of myself in them. Even even though, like, listen, I feel like he's a he's a real insufferable prick. I'm like, I've probably been that insufferable prick at
3: times. We all have a little bit of it in us, so, you know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I, yeah, what, what, one of the things I wanted to, to talk about is kind of um, the payoff we get for what one one of the things that uh Larry gets when he first starts his job is this kind of threat from one of his co-workers johnny that he has to deliver 20 dollars a day for him Mm. and like put it in like this kind of tanker tub in the middle of the jiffy uh, in the middle of the quick loop and and the way that kind of like that 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 pays off right it's like the same day as the funeral and like I, i guess after that talk about those crushing scene where kind of everything that can go wrong in Larry's life goes wrong but kind of yeah what do you think to that kind of payoff scene where we get the kind of uh uh, Larry kind of I don't know growing slightly and kind of not letting people walk over him when he kind of kicks over that big big tank full of money
3: yeah it all kind of just comes together at the same time All, all of the the little bits and pieces of uh Plot really <laughs> that finally kind of come together and and we get it all on the same day, uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess you need you need that. Uh, otherwise, it, the people who, yeah, like we've said, this is definitely not a movie that everybody is going to connect with because of the character and because of the kind of point of view of the movie. But if you don't at least build towards something, you got to get something in there for it all to kind of come to a head at, and so that is the moment where all these things kind of come together.
2: Yeah, and I guess another scene that's similar to that is like when Larry kind of finds out that uh, Lupe is dating Norwood, and then sure. he's going to lose his job because it finds <laughs> finds out that the guy who owns the Quick Lube also owned the Beco as well. Mm-hmm. It's like <laughs> and and like just to cap it off, he gets like a phone call to go to the care facility his grandma and it's kind of like mm-hmm. what a fucking like real what day. Like, yeah
3: what a day <laughs> by the way alex Karpovsky, uh in, in that like basically one or two scene role but uh yeah he, he's also great and everything i think he was in another uh one of uh bob byington's movies as well yeah,
2: I, I love him. i always loved him i think from the first time i saw him on the tv show girls i was like mm-hmm. he was somebody i was like ah oh, in this kind of sea of vapid people i love this guy because he's like he's kind of he's kind of speaking truth to power against all these kind of against lena dunham's character and all that shit (laughs) 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 so let yeah let's 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 potentially talk about like the, the end of this film and like kind of some of the i don't know like the The moments where things come together, whether it is, yeah, like Larry making amends for, like in his, in in Larry's perfect way, uh, making amends for his, for keying. What is he, like the maitre d's? I don't know, like like, John, Something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know, this film takes funny turns. I, I really like those moments when like he realizes that they're kind of like, they're following him. Like, kind mm-hmm. of like, it's like, it really froze you, like, where is this movie going?
3: Yeah, yeah. And ultimately, doesn't go many places <laughs> at all, because again, like like we've been talking about, like, that, it's all just so small. It's like, go as small as you can, and then go even smaller in the worldview, and in the idea of, like, how far any of this character's story is going to go. Um so yeah like like we were saying it, it just doesn't really uh it doesn't amount to a lot by the end but you have seen a character grow that slight little bit by the end and so it, there is a hopefulness to that and I love that and, and then like right up to the very last scene it's just back to Larry and his dog you know and yeah. that's uh that's really no matter what he learns outside of it that's that's the central part of his life that's the best part
2: Yeah I like that this film because obviously like a mainstream film the the change would be kind of like I don't know the changing of seasons, like kind of almost. Sure. Whereas this is like the change of a day. Do you know what I mean? This is yeah. kind of like yeah, like a little bit of me. I'm not I'm not I'm not a complete different person, but like maybe I'm on I'm on the way to being a little bit better. And I know yeah. that Jason Schwartzman said in a Q and A for this film that he found. Playing the character of Larry like quite hard in that most of the films he's done, like his characters have like that one thing they're after, like to take mm. to take kind of a, a touch point of that, like Rushmore, like he wants his Rushmore, whether that is Mrs. Cross. It you know what I mean like that the Max Fisher has that one thing he wants. He wants to be at that school, or he wants that yeah. teacher. Whereas this, like Larry, is far more aimless and kind of doesn't yes. know what he wants. So yeah, Jason Schwartzman said that it's like to find like the kind of motivation in the character was a bit more difficult than it is for a lot of like roles he's played. Cause he kind of doesn't have that.
3: Here's That's your really clear interesting. Goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Cause yeah, they're floating around just aimlessly and without a clear goal. That must be much more difficult to play.
2: Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the things, this little fun little tidbit I heard as well is he, ne- he was too scared to ask Bob Byington what the title of this film means? Like in relation sure. to the film? What, what, what does it mean to you? Does it mean anything to you? Do you care if it means anything?
3: I mean, I eventually ended up Googling it and found out that it was an R.E.M. song, uh, but that's the closest thing I have. And even looking at the lyrics to that R.E.M. song, it doesn't really match up, so I'm really not sure.
2: Yeah, uh, again, like, when Jason Swartzman was talking about it, he kind of said, like, he kind of likes that. He like, likes it in the music. It's like, some songs, like, will be something that's in the chorus, or do you know what I mean? Like, it would be called, like, yeah. Uh, that lonely weekend, then the song will be about a lonely weekend or a film might have the same title and it's like about the same thing. Do you know what I mean? World Trade Centre is a film about nine eleven. Do you know what I mean? It it does what it mm-hmm. says on the tin. Whereas it's like it's like this is the f- like the I think and I think that title suits the film because the film kind of yeah. I don't know, in the best way possible doesn't really like doesn't kind of really going where it wants doesn't really know what it's kind of doing in a, in, in, yeah, in yeah. the best kind of way and it's like yeah you can't you can't quantify that Do you know what I mean you know what, what I don't yeah. know like what if this was if this was like a Dak shepherd vehicle written like uh, a few years earlier might have been called like L- lucked out larry or something or larry's lucked right. out. do you know what i mean like, yeah. like yeah. it's a slacker comedy of the summer like uh, yeah is, exactly this isn't <laughs> that, like this is kind of like uh, slackers for r- real slackers almost like has the aesthetic made by like a kind of professional slacker again in the in the bed like not yeah. to disparage uh bob sure Byington in any way it's kind of like uh,
3: my best theory would be, and I don't know how autobiographical um, this movie is to Bob Byington's, like, some point in his life, but my guess would be that the R.E.M. song, Seven Chinese Brothers, was, like, his favorite song at a moment when he was just kind of floating through life and just kind of aimlessly walking around and not doing much. And that's where the name comes from. That That's the best guess I could come up with.
2: Amazing. Uh, uh, yeah. That's probably right. That's yeah. There's probably like the soundtrack inside.
3: Yeah. Larry's head,
2: right? It's kind of he's bumming about listening to R.E.M., listening to the cars. Yeah. <laughs> singing some, singing some vampire. We've weapon. all been there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, so it would,
3: be a, it would be a cure song for me. But, uh, <laughs> R.E.M.'s awesome too. Yeah. So,
2: so before we start to wrap things up and uh, get out of here, uh, David, what is there anything we've missed in this film? Is there anything that you wanted to touch? touch touch upon or anything you don't like about this film as well
3: honestly it, it's funny because this movie like it doesn't have the best reviews like if you go on letterbox and stuff like that a lot of people did not connect with it that much but i i can't think of anything i didn't like about this movie i really really liked it a lot um i i know it's certainly not for everybody uh but as far as anything we didn't touch on i mean not really um i just jotted down like if this had been a movie if i had had piecing it together back when uh you know uh, this movie came out some puzzle pieces i might have thought of would have been uh, richard linklater's slacker uh kevin smith's clerks and we already talked about mike judge earlier but office space as well those are the three things that kind of came to mind as kind of uh getting into the same kind of headspace oh. as uh what this movie kind of does
2: they're all they're all that's why you are the king Piecing it together, David. That's why That's why you are who you are. You said, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, like, I never really look at Rotten Tomatoes on this podcast, but I thought I'd just quickly pull it up when you were talking mm-hmm. about reviews here. It's it's really interesting. Based on 36 reviews from critics, this has got 78% on Rotten Tomatoes.
3: Oh, that's better than I would have expected. Wow.
2: But I think like, when you are talking about the kind of letterbox reviews and the kind of, let's be honest, like... What what a lot of people are, are more drifting towards now in this kind of like I don't know age of like the critic being dead almost like
3: uh, right right
2: five hundred plus reviews this has forty four percent audience Oof. score so so yeah. you can kind of yeah you can kind of see this film not connecting with audiences but yeah like like you said like I don't know I think there's us misanthropes out there who kind of find something to hold on to in this film and yeah thank you for absolutely thank you for bringing it to my attention probably sooner sooner than it possibly would have been covered on this podcast Uh, yeah i think it's great that kind of on a on a one-two bounce in the kind of jason sportsman films covered on this podcast we have kind of had well basically i i guess yeah it would have been that the films he made consecutively after each other so listen up philip and um Seven Chinese Brothers, which, as I said at the beginning, are very much bedfellow films. So I can think of a sure. I'll I'll be, I'll be, I'll be definitely recommending that to people as a nice little misanthropic double bill. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So as we start to yeah head out the door, David, uh, I always like to ask my guests: Did you manage to find any Copler connections in this film? Uh, Any, any, any other? People, uh, any people in this film who have worked with any other Coplayers elsewhere in their filmography?
3: Well, I think this would qualify. Um, but Jason Schwartzman's band Phantom Planet, uh, their "Big Brat" music video is directed by Spike Jones and spike jones uh this kind of gets away from the coppola family but directed an rem music video
2: oh so, i like
3: that yeah that's a nice connection to the kind of ties it in yeah yeah yeah. yeah uh-huh. there I'll, we go
2: i'll run off so. a couple i've got here so i've got uh olympia dukakis within uh, a few episodes of bored to death the tv series with
3: uh, i love bored to death yeah, such okay. a good show
2: to be covered at some point on this very podcast i just need to figure out nice how i'm gonna cover it <laughs> and she's also <laughs> in moonstruck with Nicolas cage um oh sure and then yeah alex uh Karpovsky is in crypto zoo uh with jason schwartzman a film that i believe came out last year it's an animated movie by dash no i want to say i might, I might have been hmm. wrong on that name but yeah they're in that together and as mentioned in the episode alex ross perry directed jason schwartzman in listen up philip and golden exit so yeah alex ross perry in an acting role here somebody who i am trying very much to get on the podcast and i'll, I'll, I'll say this on the podcast if you're listening alex uh <laughs> i've kind of it's, it's it's been a funny interesting road uh uh, Alex is 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 kind of unsure whether like this is a I don't know like a TMZ style uh, spill <laughs> the beans on the Coppola family podcast. And if you're listening, Alex, uh, uh, yeah, I've said to you in, in in correspondence, this is not that. We just I just want I just love to talk about their work, and I would love to talk to you about about the films you made with Jason Schwartzman, including Evan Chinese Brothers. <laughs> so, awesome, yeah. So, David, let's rate this film and the way we do that here on this podcast. I like to ask my guests, what would be the perfect wine pairing for this film?
3: So, I'm not much of a wine expert, so instead I'm going to go with a giant big gulp uh, like Jason Schwartzman is drinking from through most of the movie, filled with a little bit of uh, whiskey, I believe, he pours in there, uh, along with his, I'm assuming, Coke. So uh let's go with a big one of those does that work
2: yeah that that yeah it's kind of well, it's like that that is the slackers choice drink right kind of like a yeah, yeah te- i think it's the bottle of tequila he nicks from the bar right that's uh yeah
3: okay i'll go straight on the tequila then yeah, we yeah, don't yeah. need a we don't need a mixer in there yeah because uh, <laughs> olympia
2: de kind of has a sit, She's like oh tequila like oh, like uh, and you can uh, i find that interesting as well like you kind of in that moment you get a sense that she's had a bit of a past as well. Do you know what I mean? Maybe like her problems with yeah. drinking as well. And it's kind of, I don't it's never sure. It's never explained where yeah. his parents have gone, why he doesn't have seem to have any connection to yeah. his parents whatsoever.
3: Obviously.
2: Well, he, they must be dead, right? Cause it says he's the only living heir to the, her, yeah. her estate and that's
3: given to his best friend. There's layers, but we'll never know. <laughs>
2: So would that be a bottom shelf, middle shelf, or top shelf big gulp? Is this, is, this a, is, this a, is this a normal big gulp, a mega big gulp, or the biggest big gulp you can get? A.K.A. Is this film well, any good, David?
3: Yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going top shelf, especially if, if we're going with it being tequila that we're pouring in there. I'm not going to drink any lower-level uh, tequila. But uh, either way, it would be top shelf. I love this movie.
2: Perfect. Well, yeah, as I said, thank you so much for bringing it to my attention. I always love to find these kind of gems and of an actor who is kind of quite well known as well and it seems like he's got this vein of his career of doing this like interesting stuff and I, I love when people yeah. help me shine a light on that and uh, I'm always excited to to look through podcast platforms as well and realize, hey, I think this is going to be the only podcast out there that has covered seven Chinese brothers.
3: (laughs) Probably,
2: yeah. So I I think I may know your answer to this question since how much you're a fan of this movie, but based on seven Chinese brothers, are the Coppolas the greatest film family of all time?
3: course i mean come <laughs> on there, there's so many uh, so many amazing people in this family tree you, you sent me that uh little family tree graphic before we started and uh it's ridiculous yes <laughs>
2: yeah it's even, it's even when you start to delve into like the lesson like some of the lesser known people or people you may not realize are kind of part of the family like a a stephanie Schwartzman who is uh jason and robert's like stepsister like kind Mm. of has this career in the nineties working in like the costume and set departments for like uh, a couple of uh, uh, Tim Burton films. So like Edward Mm. Scissorhands and Edward and kind of did the little princess, the Birdcage, memoirs of the invisible man, this really interesting. And then yeah, Jonathan Schwartzman as well has got a kind of really interesting career as this like I don't know, journeyman? I know that can sound like an insult, but like this kind of like, yeah, uh, DOP for hire, kind of helping Michael Bay out in those early years or before he he went full Bayhem and kind of lost people for a while. But from what I hear of ambulance, he's got people back on side, baby.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, ambulance rules.
2: <laughs> and, um Yeah yeah so yeah the, 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 they are kind of uh an ever-expanding, always fascinating family.
3: Oh yeah, um
2: so let let's yeah, let's get out of here, David, but I always like to ask two questions before we go. and the first one is, which Coppola family member would you keep, but in doing so, you get rid of the entire filmography of the rest of the family.
3: This is such a tough question. Um, I, I think Jason Schwartzman would be my runner-up, but you got to go Nicholas Cage. Ooh. I mean, how can you get rid of Nicholas Cage's cinematic output? I mean, my favorite movie of all time is adaptations. So, like, you know, how, how could you get rid of Nicholas Cage?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a toughie, right? It's kind of, and I you got to like. I was talking to someone about this last night. About like, I love it when people just come from the heart as well. Like, people have come on this podcast before and gone. I'll go with like Francis Ford Coppola because all the stuff he's done for cinema, and it's like, nah, I don't want any of that. I want, I want what's in your heart. <laughs> like I want what's in your yes, heart?
3: exactly. And, you got to go with your heart.
2: Yeah. Well, like obviously, uh, to to peek behind the curtain, we will possibly be having a conversation about Nicolas Cage very soon on your podcast. Sizzle, yes. sizzle. No, 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 no. Uh, piece the puzzle together yourself listeners uh where, mm-hmm. <laughs> as to guess when this was recorded uh but um yeah what is it that you love so much about nicholas cage as an actor
3: i mean one of the best ranges i would say of of any any living actor right now i mean to, to be able to do things that are, are genuinely some of the best performances you've ever seen, to some of the craziest performances you've ever seen, to funny, to heartbreaking, just everything in between. He's just, he's just incredible when it comes to that. And he, you know, even if he makes some uh, weird choices along the way, uh, he make some of the best movies as well so i mean it's really just an exciting person to like follow over the years and I, I think we also kind of grew up at the perfect time to like just be along for the ride of of this particular actor in cinema history
2: yeah i think it was like ethan hawke like said that nicholas cage is like one of the last people to really do something different with art form and kind of change it in a way yeah and it's kind of i think that's true right you kind of it encapsulates like elements of like kabuki theater german exp- like yeah french uh, german expressionism kind of is and like uh, I'm, I'm gonna quote myself I, I i got i got quoted in a bbc article recently and uh, it's something i stand by is nice nicholas cage is not afraid to like act like all caps yeah. act do you know what I mean whether that if that needs like a kind of crazy face or if that needs like a I don't know, his body, like, throwing around. He's going to do it. And it's yeah. like, like, that's like, uh, that's what you want from someone, right? You kind of want somebody who's going to, and that's what I love about him, is every movie, like you said, like could be crazy, could be funny, could be sad, could be one of the best films you've ever seen. Every movie's a roll of the dice. And, like, yes, I think that's why he's been, like, the eternal underdog of cinema, and kind of why... Why people like me and you possibly like just root for him all the time because it's like he he could always I don't know like his uncle in the way that Francis Ford Coppola would bet all his money at the table on a film. Yeah, Nicholas Cage yeah. seems to be doing the same thing with his acting.
3: By the way, every every movie is a roll of the dice. That's another good quote for you to use in the future. I <laughs> like I like that. I like that. <laughs> thank Thank you
2: very much. So. Uh, Let's close off by asking possibly the most important question here on this podcast, David, which is, what does Bill Murray say to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation?
3: I'm going to go with a line from Seven Chinese Brothers that Larry says to his dog, do you like cats? (laughs)
2: Because I'm going to be in Garfield, baby. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He also makes allusions to Garfield, doesn't he? He's like uh you're like that you're like that animated cat but a real life dog.
3: Yeah. <laughs> That's <a> great line. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well that feels like a perfect place to end it, David. So thank you so much for coming and making some copla connections with me.
3: Thank you so much for having me. This was fun.
2: And there we have it guys a fantastic episode if I do say so myself another massive thank you to David Rosen for coming on this episode and enlightened me to this this film I thought it was an absolute joy and I will certainly be diving into some more of Byington work it's uh yeah it's a kind of the slacker comedy that I very much enjoy and how much? Like uh, British listeners, how much do you want there to be a boopa De Beco in England? Just so you can say boopa De Beco all the time. I love saying boopa De Beco. If you agree with me, don't hesitate to get in touch. You can do so by hitting me up on all the socials. So that is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd and TikTok at CagedInPod. Or you can always drop me an email, which is CagedInPod at gmail.com com a massive thank you to all of you guys as well who've been massively supportive you know who you are uh in regards to all the stuff that's been happening lately whether it's the kind of um like massive talent stuff like doing the junket and stuff like that. loads of people have been reaching out being really supportive being like this is like do you know what I mean, we've seen all the hard work this is amazing stuff like like congratulate me and stuff but that is that really does mean world to me and a massive shout out as well to uh, a previous guest on the podcast uh, Anna Bugatskaya who you saw my quote she interviewed me for a BBC culture article all about Nicolas Cage which um, yeah I'll put in the show notes because I'm I'm super proud of it those of you who follow me on socials might have seen me sharing it but it's really like I don't know uh, I've, I, it was it, it was a real feeling I came out of the cinema that day having watched the Northman and just saw that the article had gone live and I'd been tagged in a tweet and I was just like whoa here we go like my words are actually in there and like it's really crazy like a uh, a quote i had was like pulled out and put big as kind of like yeah it's it's a it's a crazy feeling and all of the stuff lately as well and um obviously i don't know i, I don't want to sound arrogant by yeah i'm i'm super proud of the stuff I've managed to achieve with this podcast considering like I started this when I was pretty depressed living in Brighton and now I'm kind of getting to speak to all these amazing people having these fantastic conversations with all of the fantastic guests I have on and it's just it blows my mind all the time and I don't think I'd be anywhere if it wasn't for people listening so a massive thank you to all of you guys it really does mean the absolute world to me i i I cherish and love you all deeply as for next week on the podcast we will be delving into some real real unbearable weight of massive talent pool yeah we're gonna be we're gonna be diving right in and it's gonna be a mega episode i haven't recorded this yet and i'm racked with anxiety as to how it will turn out But I will be joined by Daryl Edge of the uh, Cage Raid Podcast. All the guys from the Cage Fighting Podcast and both the guys from this podcast was written on the back of the Declaration of Independence to kind of talk all about the unbearable weight of massive talent and what we're dubbing the unbearable weight of Nicolas Cage Podcast. But it's not all we're going to be talking about. This is the kind of going to be the first part of the chat will be about uh, massive talent and then the second part will be all about our top five Nicolas Cage films and we're going to kind of score them uh, using a point system like five equals one point and trying to determine a ultimate top five Nicolas Cage film. So it's going to be hopefully a nice, fun, heated debate that will that will yeah, we'll hash it out and as always, like, let me know what are your top five Nick Cage films. We're gonna we're gonna try and I'm gonna do the same thing with all the fan uh, like answers and stuff like that, and kind of divvy them up against odds, and maybe maybe even just throw them in as well. So we'll get the ultimate kind of caged in uh, top five Nicholas Cage films, which is always subject to change. Mine changes constantly. There's a lot of recency bias. There's a lot of stuff. To, to factor in there's kind of oh, oh like the moment you think of a five you go oh, what about that film and then what about that film and then it's kind of ever going in your head of just like fuck uh, 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 I don't want to uh, I don't want to miss that baby I don't want to miss that baby uh, it is it's like picking your children for me it's so so very hard to narrow it down to five Nicholas films. I haven't even begun to uh, think of mine and I'm going to be recording this podcast in two days' time, at the time you're listening to this, It's maybe like five days' time at uh, the time I'm recording. But it's all going to be okay. I'm, I'm, I'm confident. I, I can whittle down. My favourite Nick Cage film The Five. And at the end of the day, anyway. it's only just a bit of fun, isn't it? <laughs> well, if you enjoyed this episode or any other episode of the podcast, please do be sure to rate and review this podcast on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now. Don't forget to, in your review, to tell me what you think Scarlett Johansson is told by Bill Murray at the end of Lost in Translation. Shall I say that again? What does Bill Murray say to Scotty Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation? Leave that in your review. That will be uh, much, much, much appreciated. So as always, guys, I've been Petrus of your guide through the crazy world of the Coppola family tree. Remember to keep it caged in, and I'll catch you next time.
0: Hold up.
1: That's stamps.com. Code program. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Copeland Connections, a Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com.
2: Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.